0: Secrets of the Vine, Chapter 5, A Country Awakening. One early spring, Darlene and I moved with our family to the country. We needed to slow down. We were looking forward to enjoying the beauty of our new place. A couple of days after we unpacked, I was puttering in my garage when I noticed my neighbor hacking down a row of grapevines that rambled along a fence on our shared property line. I had assumed that we owned the vines jointly. Wasn't that how things worked in the country? We already had visions of feasting on buckets full of grapes in the fall. I walked over to say hi. My neighbor, a large white-haired man in overalls, wielded the biggest set of shears I'd ever seen all around him lay heaps of grape branches you don't like grapes i guess i said trying to conceal my distress love grapes he said really well i thought maybe we would be sharing the crop from this vine and i i hesitated maybe it was too late to do any good he eyed my shiny shoes you're a city boy, aren't you? He said. Not exactly, but I but I. don't know about grapes, do you? He broke in and went back to hacking at the vine. I told him that I liked the taste of them, and I told him I had particularly liked the promising look of this row of grapes when I bought the place. You like big, juicy grapes? He asked over his shoulder. Of course, my family does too, I said. Well, son, he said, we can either grow ourselves a lot of beautiful leaves filling up this whole fence line, or we can have the biggest, juiciest, sweetest grapes you and your family have ever seen. He looked at me. We just can't have both. Is this love or sheer madness? We've seen how God intervenes in our lives when our branch is bare because of sin. But what does he do when the branch of our life looks pretty good? Like the gorgeous vine rambling down my fence line. Yet our basket still has plenty of room left for more harvest. In this chapter and the next, I'm going to help you understand the second secret of the vineyard. After Jesus told his disciples how the vine dresser cares for the barren branch, he reached for a branch that showed rampant growth, but produced only a few clusters of grapes. Listen again to what he said. Every branch that bears fruit he prunes that it may bear more fruit. John fifteen and two god's strategy for coaxing a greater harvest out of his branches is not the one you and i would prefer his plan is to prune which means to thin to reduce to cut off as unthinkable as it sounds as contradictory as it is the vine dresser's secret for more is less are you ready for a troubling truth that once grasped will free you to view the trials you're now facing in a new light, even change how you feel about them, and reward you with a beautiful harvest for God, then you're ready for the second secret of the vine. Second secret of the vine. If your life bears some fruit, God will intervene to prune you. If necessary, he will risk your misunderstanding of his methods and motives. His purpose is for you to cut away immature commitments and lesser priorities to make room for even greater abundance for his glory. Pictures of Plenty Looking at the branch in Jesus' hand that night, the disciples knew exactly what he meant by pruning. Vineyards had been a symbol of God's generous provision for Israel, For almost 2,000 years. The disciples knew grapes like an Englishman today knows tea. They understood that to get more from a grapevine you have to go against the plants natural tendency. Recently I read a gardening report that explained why. Because of the grapes tendency to grow so vigorously a lot of wood must be cut away each year. Grapevines can become so dense that the sun cannot reach into the area where fruit should form. Left to itself, a grape plant will always favor new growth over more grapes. The result? From a distance, luxurious growth and impressive achievement. Up close, an underwhelming harvest. That's why the vine dresser cuts away unnecessary shoots, no matter how vigorous, because a vineyard's only purpose is grapes. In fact, pruning is a grower's single most important technique for ensuring a plentiful harvest. For the Christian, rampant growth represents all those preoccupations and priorities in our lives that, while not wrong, Are keeping us from more significant ministry for God. Without pruning, growing Christians will only be able to live up to a fraction of their potential. The principle of pruning invites a revealing question about your spiritual life. Are you praying for God's super abundant blessings and pleading that he will make you more like his son? If your answer is yes, then you are asking for the shears. Pruning is how God answers your prayers that your life will please him more and have a greater impact for eternity. Profiles in pruning. In the vineyard, an expert pruner applies his skills in four specific ways to remove growth that is dead or dying, to make sure sunlight can get to all the fruit bearing branches, to increase the size and quality of the fruit, and to encourage new fruit to develop. Our Father, the vine dresser, is guided by similar principles to make room for the kind of abundance He created for us. He must first cut away parts of our lives that drain precious time and energy from what's truly important. His plan for pruning is anything but random, and He works in every life uniquely. What he judges as wasteful for me might be necessary to you. In teaching this passage over the years, I have asked many branch mates to describe what pruning has looked like in their lives. Here are some of the things I've heard. Kyle, airline employee. After I became a Christian, I noticed that my monthly night out with my old crowd from high school began to leave me feeling empty and out of place, so I quit going. Interestingly enough, a few months later, I led one of the guys to the Lord. Through Kyle's dissatisfaction, God was showing him that an old activity was dead or dying. It took up time and energy, giving little in return. When Kyle let go of it, new results quickly showed in its place. Loshana. A mother of four. God has been nudging me to let go of some selfish habits that have been hindering my marriage for a long time. Just accepting the challenge to change felt like pruning to me. But since I've been meeting weekly with an older woman in our church, I'm experiencing new freedom. I'm very thankful. So is my husband. Lashana's self-oriented behaviors were choking out her ability to bear fruit in her marriage. God wanted more sun to reach her key relationship. Jared, college senior. I had to decide which was more important, the perfect two-hour workout or dedicating more time to our growing campus ministry. God was inviting Jared to set aside more time, To increase the size and quality of the fruit in his life. Howard, retired programmer. I thought I would spend my retirement playing golf and traveling, but God has been showing me some golden opportunities in short-term mission service. I think it's time to do something new for God, something really outside my comfort zone. God is looking for new fruit from Howard. If discipling is about sin, pruning is about self. In pruning, God asks you to let go of things that keep you from his kingdom purposes and your ultimate good. Pruning is how God changes the picture of your life from a basket that is almost empty to a basket that's starting to fill. Misunderstanding God's Methods Let's be honest. Pruning is cutting, and cutting hurts. Sounds like being disciplined, doesn't it? No wonder most Christians have trouble distinguishing between discipline and pruning in their lives. It all feels the same, but it isn't. Jesus wanted his disciples to be very clear about the difference. Why? Because the purposes of discipline and pruning are entirely different. And because the consequences of confusing them can be disastrous. Jesus knew that if his future followers misread the vine dresser's actions in their lives, they would come to the wrong conclusions about the vine dresser's purpose and plan. I know for years I struggled with anger and confusion because I mistook the process of pruning for discipline. When intense periods of distress seemed to lay siege to me, my family or my ministry, I turned things upside down, looking for the kind of major sin that would warrant the discomfort I was experiencing. I asked Darling to help me see what I was missing. I pleaded, what else do you want from me, Lord? I confessed every known sin and waited for relief. But when nothing changed, I frequently slipped into anger toward God, then into bitterness, then mistrust. The result was a break in my relationship with him. And here's the distress and irony. Over time, those wrong reactions to pruning became a four-lane freeway that took me out of pruning and right back into God's discipline. What a vicious and unnecessary cycle. I see now that if I hadn't finally grasped the difference, I could have been at odds with God for the rest of my life. But listen, vast numbers of Christians I talk to are stuck in the same misunderstanding, repeating the same detours, and getting the same painful results. In fact, I now believe that misreading God's actions or motives in pruning is the number one reason mature Christians unnecessarily slide back into discipline. Does this, this scenario describe your life? Does it explain some spiritual detours in your past? Thankfully, the Secrets of the Vine can help you put this problem to rest forever. You won't need to spend another day fighting against God and losing when you can be working with Him to win. Pruning versus Discipline Which is it? You can distinguish pruning from discipline by asking a few simple questions. I encourage you to carefully review the accompanying chart. If you suspect that you are being pruned, follow these steps. Acknowledge that God is trying to get your attention. Decide that you don't want this season of turmoil to go to waste. Number two. Trust that since a loving parent would tell a child why he or she is receiving correction, your loving father will do no less. Believe that he wants you to know whether you are experiencing discipline or pruning. Number three, ask the Lord to help you answer this question. Do I have a major sin that's causing you to discipline me? Do I have a major sin that's causing you to discipline me? And number four, pray, Lord, I want to know if you do not show me within a week from today that this is discipline, then I will take it by faith that it is pruning. From my own experience, I can assure you that God has many ways to let you know if a sin is the issue, you will find the truth in a scripture, a conversation, a teaching, or a phone call from a friend. Number five, if you conclude that you're being disciplined, sin is the problem. Repent and turn around. You'll never regret it. Number six, if you conclude that you're being pruned, your response is just as crucial and the rewards will be even greater. Ask God to show you clearly what he wants you to let go of and trust him enough to release it completely to him so I'm going to take a few minutes to explain the chart that he referenced so the chart is um, it's a three column chart it has issue discipline and pruning so issue how do you know it's happening discipline pain pruning pain issue why is it happening? Disciplining? You're doing something wrong. Pruning? You're doing something right. Issue? What is your level of fruitfulness? Pain? No fruit. Represented in basket one. Pruning, Fruit? Represented by basket two. What is the vine dresser's desire? Discipline? Fruit? Represented by basket two. Pruning. He wants more fruit. Represented by basket three. Issue. What needs to go? Disciplining. Sin. Pruning. Self. Issue. How should you feel? Discipline. Guilty. Sad. Pruning. Relief. Trust. Issue. What is the right response? Discipline. Repent. Stop sinning. Pruning. Release. Give God your permission. Issue. When does it stop? Discipline. When we stop sinning. Pruning. When God is finished. Is there something you should say to God? Imagine a sunny day in Indiana. Darren, 25, has driven up from Memphis to see his dad whom he's hardly spoken to for years. They're out in the driveway shooting a few hoops. Finally, Darren gets out what he has driven so far to say. Dad, I didn't understand you for years. I didn't know why you had so many rules for me in high school about parties, TV, chores, driving, money. I didn't like your expectations. I thought you were mean and stupid. I said terrible things about you behind your back. And dad, I'll admit that I hated you at times. But now I see that you were just trying to be a good dad. You only wanted what was best for me. You never gave up or gave in. I came here to apologize for what I have thought and said about you. I was wrong. I know I hurt you very deeply, and I'm sorry. I believe that the majority of believers need just such a conversation with their father. I remember the day I finally made amends with God over how I had been treating him. That was many years ago, and I can tell you that it has radically improved my relationship with God. Isn't it amazing that God allows himself to be hurt by us? We know this happens because Ephesians 4.30 says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. It's hard to comprehend God's tender love in the face of our misunderstanding, repeated rejection, and unwarranted abuse from us. Yet, His love remains constant. If your relationship with your father is injured, I encourage you to apologize today for your attitudes and thoughts. Tell God you have misunderstood his actions and badly misjudged his character. Tell him exactly how you have felt and why, and ask him for his forgiveness. Giving God Permission Darlene and I don't live in that house with the grape arbor anymore, but I've thought about my country awakening many times since. I can still see that royal grapevines in September, its branches thick with clusters of purple fruit. I can still see the kitchen table groaning under boxes and baskets of grapes. I can taste the sweetness. I can smell the vats of jams and jellies bubbling on the stove. I can see our daughter stirring the pot and juice running down our boy's chin abundance is such a beautiful thing isn't it you might be looking down the fence line of your life right now seeing branches being hacked off feeling assaulted by circumstances maybe even by God himself and wondering what God will do next I must tell you that your Heavenly Father loves you so much that he won't stop tending your life as you'll see in the next chapter Accepting the pruning process doesn't mean that your life or your enjoyment of it will shrink. The most fruitful and most joy-filled Christians are the most pruned Christians. This concludes Chapter 5 of Secrets of Divine, A Country Awakening.